This is Unstaged, PSR's first official podcast. Listen and learn from various professionals in the industry as they uncover the key to building a successful real estate business. Hello and welcome to Unstaged, PSR's official podcast. Remember, you can find us anywhere where you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at PSR Brokerage. We are here and we are with Adam Stern. Adam, how are you doing? Not bad, Kenneth. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. And we were going to start off with questions about buyers. So today I wanted to ask a few questions about how to deal with buyers. What is one thing in your experience is the biggest negotiating mistakes when representing a buyer? Negotiating mistakes that agents make? Yes. Well, I, I think the first thing in my experience with working with agents is what they're trained for Maria. Um, you know, when they meet a buyer, they're immediately thinking about how to bring up the BRA, how to get them signed, and how to lock them in. And I use an analogy when I do a lot of my training, um, and, I, and I, I call it getting married. Now, can imagine on a first date, someone asking you, you know, this date is going great, let's get married. I don't think it would work, go over well. So I, I find that agents are doing the same thing you know, they're trained or taught to get this BRA signed. And in fact, that's a marriage contract. And I don't know a lot of people who would get married on a first date. So I think one of the first things agents need to do is understand that probably 50% of the sales process has to do with being likable. And rather than pitching a contract to get married, why don't we figure out what it is this buyer is looking for? How can you relate to this buyer? What type of services could you offer to help this buyer find their property? And at that point in time, figure out if it's a right fit for the both of you. You know, a lot of agents are looking to work with just about anyone. But the fact is, there's some buyers that I don't think agents would want to work with. So I, I think it's a bigger question. Um, but the idea of just going out and, work, and, and trying to get this BRA signed, I think, I think is wrong. You know, the other day, we do a, some business development sessions here at PSR, and I had about 20 agents. And I asked them... Who here would work with a buyer without a BRA? And the overwhelming majority raised their hands. Now, imagine that. Imagine how agents are willing to work with a buyer without a BRA, but one of the first things they do in their negotiation with the buyer is ask them to sign this BRA. So the process is kind of mixed up. Now, I'm all for working with a buyer without a BRA, but I would have a different level of service. I am not going looking for specific properties for buyers that will not commit to me, period, the end. So would I work with one? Sure. Would I work differently with one who has a BRA versus someone who doesn't? 100% absolutely. So how much time would you put into someone who refuses to sign a BRA? Not much. Not much. Now, I think it's also confusing right now with some technology and websites out there. Now, what is it that the agent does? Now, let's assume for one second, a buyer can find their own listings, okay? They have the internet, they can find their listings. And one of the objections that agents are getting right now that's very common is, well, I'm going to go to the listing agent because I could find my own properties. Now, can imagine an agent got paid for simply finding properties? This does not work this way. And it's a huge misconception out there in the public that I need an agent to find a property, okay? It does not make any sense. So 
I, I think that that is uh, a problem for agents because I'm not sure many agents know exactly what their value proposition is when they're working with a buyer. Certainly it can't be that I find you properties. Now, if I go back to my office and I'm speaking with a colleague and I happen to find a property that's perfect for my buyer, not on the market, not on MLS, not on the internet, how in the world am I able to go take my buyer who didn't sign a BRA and present this opportunity with them, to them? And they must understand this. So, you know, I, I think an old trick that someone taught me years ago was ranking my buyers A, B, C, D. You know, D being, hey, Adam, if you find any deals, let me know. You know, those are the Ds. I think I would put my buyers that don't want to commit to me in C. Again, Ken, another analogy would be, imagine, again, we're going to go back to this dating scenario where you go on a date and your part and the girl on the date that you have asked to marry you says, well, Ken, I don't want to marry you. Why? Well, because I may want to date other people. Now... Ken, how inclined would you be to take out this girl again if you're looking to get married? So it's the same thing to me. If, I, if a buyer is telling me, I don't want to commit to you, I would like to work with other people, I mean, I'm not ranking them very high on my list and I wouldn't be spending too much time with them. So let's say we get to past that and they finally put an offer in. Now, you are now, as an agent, negotiating on behalf of your buyer. What are some mistakes that you've seen uh, that agents have done that not necessarily ruined the deal, but they do often enough that puts them in a disadvantage? The first thing that agents do um, that caused them a lot of problems, both on the buying and selling end, is they talk a lot. And they over-promise and under-deliver. I think one of the biggest things agents can do that will help them in their business, not just on a transaction, but in their business, is to stop talking, ask questions, and find out what exactly can they do for this client. In terms of a deal, when buyers have, think about it, Ken, on one end you have a buyer who's looking to get the property for the least amount of money. You have on the other end a seller who's looking to get the highest amount of money, and you've put yourself in the middle of this equation. Needless to say, there will be emotions, there will be swings, there will be egos, there will be um, lots of different things that come up in this process, and the best thing an agent can do is listen, rather than promise the sun, moon, and the stars. So I think the very first mistake, you know, Ken, I don't know if you get this as much, but when an agent comes into my office with a problem, it usually starts with, well, I told them. Now, imagine they're in this world of a, of a deal where they're in the middle of something and they're telling people what to do. It makes no sense. I, I wouldn't understand what it is they're telling them. You know, um, one thing that was taught to me a long time ago was you don't know anything. So when a buyer says to me, Adam, I want to go in at five fifty, dollars uh, and, and, and the listing price is six twenty nine. dollars the first thing I ask my buyer is, where did they get this number? If they can justify it, then so can I. But I don't want to wear the hat that I know that this number can't makes no sense because how do I know? I've seen some crazy things in this business. Things sell for way above asking, way below asking. So I think the best thing agents can do is stop talking. 
and ask the right questions and find out what exactly needs to be done here. Um, in regards to working with other realtors, uh, in this situation would be on a buy side, but what would you do or what advice would you give to a realtor who comes to you and says, you know, the other side is, is speaking to me very condescendingly and is, very, is, is treating me like I am brand new and they're starting to get very frustrated with this situation. So I think this goes back to exactly what I said, going into the emotions. You know, one thing I tell an agent, uh, they have two best friends that they need to make on every transaction. One is their client. Two is the other agent. Now, if you're fighting with the other agent, I can't imagine transacting with them will be a breeze. Emotions run high in a transaction. You have an agent. Let's use this example. There's a, another agent on the other side, on the selling side, that has promised their client they will not get less than $1.2 million. As a buying agent, you go in and give them an offer for $1.1. Now, you have no idea what this other agent has said. You submit this offer, and now this seller is completely upset at their listing agent. The first place that this listing agent goes and takes out this emotion is on the buyer agent. So my advice to the buyer agent is do not get caught up in emotions. There are going to be hurt feelings. There are going to be things that are said, but the best thing you can do is remain calm and friend the other agent, not fight. So my analogy is if the other agent is using a boxing gloves to come in and box, don't you figure out a way to put on bigger ones Find a way to remove them. I really think it's, it's almost like you have a job to do. And the job is not to make the other agent calm. The job is to get a deal done. You are not going to get a deal done if the other agent is looking to fight with you. And so, look, this happens all the time. Um, um, and I always t explain to agents, you cannot let that bother you. You have to put it past. Say things like, Listen, look, I understand your frustrations. I understand the market. I understand the position you're in your other client. Let's work together on this and see what we can do. At the end of the day, if nothing gets done here, that's okay. At least we gave it our best shot. Let's not fight with each other to show who wins. We both lose if nothing happens. So what I think happens is this, Ken. I think when the listing agent comes back at the buyer agent, the number one advice that I can give the buyer agent is to remain calm and don't react. Pointless to react. Say, I understand. I get it. Trust me, I totally understand that the offer wasn't acceptable. I understand it's where my client wanted to start. Let's not get into the name calling. Let's not get into this. I get the position you're in. Work with me. Allow me the opportunity to work with my client. I'll allow you the opportunity to work with your client, but let's work together. You know, I usually find that when agents do does say things like this to the other agent, it totally, you know, calms down the situation and gives you a path to work forward. If the other agent is aggressive and you're aggressive back, I, I tend to find that, you know, deals fall apart because of egos. That makes sense. Moving on to a little bit more, again, on the buyer's side, what happens when you're in the middle of a negotiation um, and... You know, you and the other side are $10,000 apart. And your buyer comes to you and says, listen, we're at our max. Can you do something to get it done? What do you advise agents to do in, or in these situations? 
Well, Ken, that's a, a, a very good question, and it's been around for a long time. Um, on the example you gave is 10 grand, but this could happen 15, 20, 30 grand, six grand, four grand. Look, at the end of the day, when you're buying a property and you're contributing to the sale as an agent, your name doesn't get to go on title. And what I mean by that is if the property were to go up $100,000 and I contributed $10,000, I don't get a lift. Now, if it were to go down, I don't contribute to the loss. Now, making my commissions or our commissions part of the deal, I think, is a number one mistake that buyers do. And I understand why they do it. So I'm not saying that the, the tactic isn't smart. I get why they're doing it. You know, they feel that they're up against the cap. The seller won't go back. He, here's my advice. I'll give you a live example. We had a client, we had an agent the other day that was about $15,000 apart, and this exact scenario came up to play. And the buying agent said, my client won't go up, not $1. I said, okay, so let me ask you this question. Your client's at $620,000. If they found out the property sold for $621,000, they wouldn't be upset? And our agent said, well, I didn't ask them that. I said, well, you should ask the client that. Because when you're at a cap, is it a real cap or is it just not wanting to pay more? Now, there's nobody in the world that wants to pay more. But here's where I'm going with this. I tend to find when deals fall apart for that five to $10,000 mark, it's not money. It's emotions and ego. And I don't think when an agent kicks in commissions to the deal that it solves anything. Let me give you an example. There is nobody in Toronto right now that's saying, I am so glad I invested in my condo 10 years ago, I'm up $10,000. Doesn't exist. They're up hundreds. Now, on the reverse side, there is nobody saying, oh my God, stay away from real estate. I took a bath and lost 10 grand. When it gets to five, $10,000 mark, you are really dealing with, look, cold feet, um, people above their limits, um, sellers being stubborn, buyers being stubborn. The first place that people tend to go to, specifically on the buyer side, is the agent. My recommendation to agents is if they're at a limit, for example, 620, but they would pay 621 and they're just scared to go back to the agent, don't kill the offer. Keep it going. You have to keep working the offer. I feel like the last 10 years in this economy has ruined agents' behavior because we've been in an order-taking economy. Seller says, bring me this. Buyer agent brings them that. You have a deal. The art of negotiation has been lost. Can you imagine a $10,000 difference on a $620,000 place? You know, we are talking about one, just over 1%. Can you imagine a deal falling through and the only answer an agent will say is it's their commissions? Imagine you go to the dentist, Ken, and you feel that $200 is the right price to get cleaned and the dentist submits you a bill for $270 and you tell the dentist, well, don't clean the last three teeth, okay, and kick me back $70. This doesn't exist. Now, the reason why it exists in our industry is because we're the first point of contact and during those emotions, a buyer turns to the agent and says, can you do anything? So I really think this is the beautiful thing about our business. You have many different agents who handle this many different ways. I'm a big believer in that that's not necessary in the deal. 
And I think if you are coached right, uh, trained right, um, running a proper business, I don't think that this stuff exists out there uh, um, in order to get a deal done. Your deal can't be dependent on how much commission you kick back. That's fair. And what would you say in regards to that if, you know, the agent was working with this person for the last 15, 16 months and they said, you know what, I'm considering doing so just because this will get the deal done and it's better than losing the client as a whole, potentially. You know, I, I would go back to a question is, well, what do you have? Like, you know, what you have to have something to lose it. I mean, imagine you're working with a buyer client for 16 months and you still don't have a deal. My question is, is five, 10 grand really going to make the deal? So I think each scenario is very different. I know there's thousands of agents out there that do this. I know there's agents out there that don't. I'm not a person to say what's right and wrong. Um, what I do believe is that at certain times, you know, you have to ask yourself this question, but um, I think it's the way that agents perceive this question that gets them all into a panic because when an agent is posed a question, can you do this? They feel like if they don't, they will lose the deal. The question is they don't have a deal. So if you don't have a deal, how is it that you can lose it? You know, and I would go one step further. If you're working with a buyer client for 15, 16 months, and now the question is coming up about commission, I, I'm curious to know what went on and what transpired for those 14, 15, 13 months that they're working together that now just a simple five, 10 grand of commission kickback work. Can imagine, you know, you're getting penalized for doing a really, really good job. That's essentially what the buyer's asking. You know, you're doing a really good job by staying with me and my emotional self for the next, for the last 16 months. Do me a favor. You've done such a good job give me money back. You know, it's almost like you're getting penalized to do a good job. So fundamentally, I disagree. Are there exceptions to these rules? And from my standpoint, of course. Um, but I do not think it's necessary and I do not think it's needed to get a deal done. Cool. What would you say is the one piece of advice, general enough for all agents when dealing with buyers and what to, and what to do to ensure that they they get that deal done, they, get that, they keep that relationship. I think, and I can't stress this enough, I, I think the most important thing that they can do is the first meeting. I think the first meeting, your goal is to lay the foundation and set expectations on how this will work. For example, one of the things I used to do was tell my clients, should they see a property from either my automated search or anything of the, that their own online hunting did, if they gave me 24 hours notice, it's very unlikely that I will not be able to show it to them. Now, why would I say this and do this? I think, imagine a world, and we just had this in our office a few weeks ago, where you send a client a property list. The client turns around and says, I'd like to see it today at 4 o'clock. You as an agent cannot. And they turn around to you and say, well, I know another agent who will, the listing agent, maybe I'll go with them. If this is not set up right at your first meeting, you will continuously chase this deal and chase the client, and you will never have a value proposition. I think the first meeting is the most important to set expectations, understand how this process works. Personally, I would bring up the buyer representation agreement. I would not ask them to sign it because I don't think you understand 
what it's like to get married to me on a first date. Let them get to know me. Maybe they don't want to get married. Maybe I don't want to get married with them. But I would definitely bring it up. I would set the expectations of how this process works. I am going to give them a, uh, I'm going to paint a picture for them of what this process will be like over the next few months working with me. But I think in the first meeting, the best thing you can do is set expectations and prepare a list of questions that you can ask the buyer of how would this process be perfect for them. I think what agents do incorrectly is they tell the client all the things that they do when in fact it should be the other way around. I would sit down and ask the client, what's this process like? What are the things that you're not looking forward to the most? What are things that make you nervous about this buying process? What do you feel about working with one agent versus many different agents? This is the time to lay the foundation, set the tone, and set your value proposition and figure out what it is that I need to do to provide the best service that I can possible for my client rather than tell them some sort of package that I have that they may or not be interested in. Would you say that would have to be in person or could it be on phone? Well, I don't want all my younger agents to get mad at me for saying this, but I strongly advise in person. Look, are there ways that we can do this remotely? Yes. Would I, could I FaceTime? Sure. Can we uh, Skype or can we... Do, Yes, there's lots of things that I would, do, you know, that we could do to, um, you know, make this not in person and portray the same. But I, I strongly, strongly advise. Here's the way I put it, Ken. You know, if a client won't meet with me to hear me out for five, ten minutes, what are the odds they transact real estate with me? Now, would I suggest that if they don't meet with me, I don't work with them? No, no way. But it's going to tell me a lot about this person if they won't meet with me first before we embark on this endeavor to buy their biggest asset. So I'm a big, big advocate of yes, meeting in person. Are there exceptions to this rule? Yes. Awesome. All right, Adam, thank you very much for taking part in today's episode of Unstaged. Uh, Remember, guys, you can listen to us on anywhere you find your podcast and make sure you subscribe. Thank you very much. Remember, you can find us on all socials at PSR Brokerage, and don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this has been PSR Unstaged.